Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast. We explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world. In the light of Sola Scriptura and Toto Scriptura, I'm Cody Fields, the president of Westminster Effects. You can buy stuff at westminstereffects.com. You can join in a discussion of the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. You can support the show at anchor.fm. Even a do- hey, let's say this. If you could give us a dollar a month, I'll hook you up with a shirt. Uh, that's spur of the moment promotional material right there. Yeah. Let's, uh, you can subscribe and comment on Facebook and Instagram. Give us five stars on your podcast catcher. We don't care if it's honest. Just give us five stars. Uh, as usual, in person, I'm joined by... Hey, everybody. Bradley Cox, Pastor Resurrection Church in Greer, South Carolina. And that went swimmingly. Uh, and via the internet by... Hey, everybody. John Ross here, Westminster Effects artist, Augsburgian Christian, bewildered father of three from Lincoln, Nebraska. <laughs> you were just telling us that uh, some of your adventures. Oh, my uh, goodness. Were, how about we just give them a literal taste of what was going on? Just list off some of the uh, food items that your three-year-old yeah. has been consuming. Yeah. So, uh a uh, box, brand new box of French toast sticks she pulled out of the freezer, cut open with a big old knife, and was just sitting on the couch eating, watching Daniel Tiger, just <laughs> eating frozen French toast sticks. Uh, ground raspberries into the brand new r- rug, which is white because we're stupid. Um, <laughs> it's white with no red in it. I mean, if it were blueberries, we could have gotten away with it. Um, uh, thank goodness for OxyClean. This is not a paid endorsement. Uh, let's see. Uh, but wait, there's more. Oh, but wait, there's more. If you call now, you'll also get a half-eaten block of cheddar cheese and a completely consumed cup of cold pack uh, cheddar uh, left on the floor of uh, of my boy's room that Salas somehow snuck up in the middle of the day and, and munched away. <laughs> And, uh, there was a, there was a bottle of children's Tylenol she was fiddling with one day. And then my middle son broke a window and, you know, it's Christmas time. So, you know, we, I just have tons of, of bandwidth to deal with all these things. Anyways, all of so, the bandwidth. Yeah. All of it. All of so, it. So your daughter's going to be a frontier woman, deer skinning <laughs> yes. abstract artist on white rugs she's and food be, she, connoisseur she's going to be the most uh, the most aggressive cross between dr quinn medicine woman and jackson pollock <laughs> like, <it's, laughs> that's perfect that's perfect <laughs> So good. I was, I was about to say, wasn't there like already like the Pioneer Woman or something like that? Like yeah, some she, cooking show. Oh where yeah, she's out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, but that's not even close to what right. Sailor's doing. Right. No, particularly with the abstract art. Yeah, Reed Drummond isn't sitting on, sitting on her couch eating frozen French toast. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she is. Maybe she is, in fact, more relatable to the average American than than uh, her her sweet country persona puts off. But uh, you know, I I don't know. But uh, I don't know. There's there's something in. I mean, she had no clue that she was doing anything wrong. She just thought like, I want food. French toast sticks. So, need to uh, open bag. Yeah. You have ten inch fillet. You have ten inch <laughs> fillet knife. Oh goodness gracious! Well, I have no segue. There is no way to professionally segue from that into our main topics. We're just going to make it happen. <laughs> so here at 
here at Res, uh, it you know we've talked about uh, our associate pastor Keith and and his wife Carrie going to. Uh, they are leaving our church to plant a new church about twenty twenty five minutes away, and uh, they are on staff through the end of the year. So with that end of the year coming up, but also Christmas coming up, we did the whole commissioning sending honoring kind of thing mm-hmm. uh this sunday uh so bradley i guess kind of tell us what we did and kind of what the thought behind that was well i mean i guess it was a couple of things i mean there are obviously um ecclesiological you know implications here like right. um how we think about the church how we think about membership how we think about the the mission of the mm-hmm. church and uh, the body of Christ as a whole. I mean, there, there, there's some really huge ideas there that inform what we did on Sunday. It was not just ceremonial. It was not yep. just something that we needed to do uh, because, you know, an associate pastor is leaving to plant a church. I mean, we think about the body of Christ as, you know, the universal church, the Holy Catholic church, the, 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 you know, we are we are one body, and so a part of our local fellowship of the body of Christ is leaving to plant another fellowship, and so we wanted to celebrate that. We wanted to to bless that, and and I told the church on Sunday, I don't think that our our blessing, our our offering of blessing, is something we should treat as um, you know formulaic or or something that's again just ceremonial doesn't mean anything. I think there's a work of the spirit that happens when we bless in the name of the Lord, when we're, we're clear about the fact that this is God's will that Keith and Carrie are doing what the Lord has called them to do. And to add our blessing to that, I think is a means of grace and uh, a means through which God works. And so we wanted to do that well, but you know, on top of that, Keith and Carrie are our friends, you Mm -hmm. know, and there's something that's ingrained in me um, you know, from, I don't know, I guess just the life that I've lived and what, you know, people that I've looked up to and trusted have spoken to me. Um, one man that I really admired and looked up to said to me one time, Bradley, your greatest asset in life is your friends. And I take that very seriously. Um, I, I, I don't want to in any way minimize the fact that Keith and Carrie have been at our church for 13, 14 years. Right. And some deep relationships have been developed in that span of time, not just with myself and my wife, but many people in our church that have been here for that length of time. And, and even those that have come somewhere in between the last 13, 14 mm-hmm. years that have developed relationships with them. And, uh, we wanted to honor that. We wanted to remember and celebrate. And, um, and so we did that. We, um, we had the church, uh, I encouraged the church to write letters to Keith and Carrie, cards, just write words down. You know, um, it's it's great to give not, gifts. Not Egyptian hieroglyphics, but right, words. Right, right, right. <laughs> right, it's great to give gifts. Fish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gopher. <laughs> Lampshade. It, it's, great, it's great to give gifts. It's great to give money. And our church has invested quite a bit of money in yep. what uh, this new church that's going to get started. Um, and it's great to speak words and say things to people. That's important. But writing them down um, 
it, it allows you to take it with you and keep it. Uh, I mean, God gave us a book to make himself known to us. So I think, you know, the church writing uh, to Keith and Carrie was something I thought was, was a really, really great opportunity. And um, I, Mary and I actually did that. And I read our letter uh, to Keith and Carrie in front of the church uh, where I talked about personal memories and I talked about the ministry that, that they've done here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we prayed over them and blessed them. And I think it was, it was good. It's it, every time we've done that in my tenure at res, it's just so good and healthy for the church. It's the right way for a church to say bye, um, to, to send, as opposed to someone just leaving because they want to do something else or they've got their feelings hurt or whatever. Uh, it's, it's great for, to see that happen in a healthy way, in a biblical way. Mm. Yeah, it was, it was one of those where this, this definitely was more personal, personal for, for Kristen and me mm-hmm. because they were our small group leaders for half a decade. That's right. <laughs> and so we, we've spent a ton of time with them pretty much every week. Hmm. And, um, it, it wouldn't, I don't, and I think you would agree. It wouldn't have been right. You know, obviously we, we acknowledged everything. We announced the whole, Hey, this transition is going to happen. And we kept the church updated throughout as the months go on, but then it, it wouldn't have really been right. Just to be like, all right, see you later. Right. Uh, that would, that would just ring hollow. Yeah. Honestly. Well, the Bible says to give honor to whom honors do. And when you think about, all of those hours um, invested in a small group yep. like yours. When you think about all the hours of counseling that Keith has done here, um, the weddings he's performed, the funerals that he's mm-hmm. officiated, the sermons that he's preached, uh, the times where he's gone to the hospital or he's visited someone in a home or he's he's led someone to Christ, baptized a number of people in our church mm-hmm. who had come to faith. You know. It, it 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 would be, dare I say, sinful to just say, "All right, see you later." You know, you know. Well, see you later. You know, sorry. <laughs> Big gulps, huh? Big gulps. Huh? <laughs> I, I mean, it, it would be be wicked to do that. Um, yeah, to think, to to treat uh, someone who God has been so uh, instrumental through uh, mm-hmm. as, as some sort of just transient mm-hmm. utility. Like, you know, thanks for keeping the lights on for the last 15 years. Uh, you know, uh, that's that mindset, I, I, I think, is it, it can can translate and probably should translate uh, to not just leaving to to plant a church, uh, you know, but when a when a, an individual receives a, a different call uh, to another congregation or uh uh, a, a job offer to a different congregation or, or, or what it, what it may be. Um, you know, there, there have certainly been some, some missteps, uh, in, uh, um, even in, in my recent recollection, uh, where, uh, people have, uh, have moved on, uh, from, from my local church and it has been treated as a very much, you know, see ya thanks for all the fish and um and not only does that not convey appreciation like that's like the lowest level of things to be concerned about Mm -hmm. it it shows almost 
selfishness that we're not grateful for what they've done in in our midst. Um, you know, my my hope and my prayer is that as uh, we have a number of individuals that are that are transitioning um, out of uh, of Christ to uh, to go to other ministry opportunities, uh, you know that that their uh, departure, as it were, is is met with the same sort of uh, of sending. And I, you know, I don't know if it if it will be. You know, we often have. Uh, and this is this isn't just Christ. I mean, this is this is my my tradition. You know, throughout uh, my uh, throughout my life, is that you know we often have like a sending service for missionaries or individuals going to seminary or uh, you know a, a youth group going to uh, a, a youth gathering or something. We have a sending and a blessing uh, part of the service. Um, you know to to send them on and to spur them on in the grace of God and uh, but there's something that at least I recall is being less ceremonial when someone leaves their current church to go to a different one there's you know there's always like a reception you know uh, something where like a potluck or a catered meal or or just you know bring like a or a cake reception you know it's something for people to gather together in fellowship and in whatnot uh but you know sometimes it, it seems that there's you know there's a, a prayer made in in the service but it's not as uh not only do we release you from your call here but we send you to your call at you know yeah Right, our, our Redeemer Southern Baptist Lutheran Game of the Year Edition dot uh, com, um, <laughs> and uh, I I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, Bradley is that not not only is not doing anything sinful, but I think not not doing enough to ensure we communicate that their next step is the will of God, that their mm-hmm. next right. step will be met with the same provision from our heavenly father and stewardship of the spirit that they had in their current role. You know, I think things like that are, are not, not only a blessing for the individuals who are going, but a tremendous education opportunity, um, you know, as as we think about this from a an ecclesiastical mindset, um, there or or an edification mindset, there's a, a tremendous opportunity um, to tell and to instruct a congregation that this is God's will, and we yeah. support God's will prayerfully, thoughtfully, financially, so on and mm-hmm. so forth. I really like your point about education and edification because it could also lead to it clicking in someone's mind that, Hey, I might want to do that one day. Sure. You know, like if, if, if we never talk about it, <laughs> yeah. then, then no one's going to want to do it. <clears throat> but, mean, but how will they, how will they hear unless someone goes and preaches? Well, you know? and, and, you know, it, it, it's, it's probably, it, it could be said it's a rare thing uh, for someone in the church to feel the call from the Lord to uproot their, lives and their family and move to a different part of the world and be called to an entirely different 
ethnic group of people. Right. Um, we, we might say that that's rare. I mean, most people in our churches are going to um, be called to their neighborhoods and their places of business and their schools and might take a short-term mission trip here and there. But mm-hmm. it's, it's true that God does set some people apart to uproot and move to an entirely different part of the globe. And if we don't celebrate that, if we don't recognize that, then yeah, I mean, I know God's sovereign and he will, he will accomplish his purpose, but it, it could be the means through which God pricks the heart of someone sitting in our proverbial pews to say, you know what? I feel the tug of the Lord to consider that for my own life. Um, I think that's important. I think the other thing too, is that we, we often, when, when someone transitions out of a church, uh, for whatever reason, um, there tends to be this negative perception of that right out of the right out of the gates. Like, okay, what's wrong? Yeah. Why are they going there and not staying here? Um, what 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 conflict has ensued that's given yeah. rise to this? And I heard Mark Rutland say years ago, um, if you only imagine transition as being something that happens when things are negative then you really your expectation is that god is only going to lead you from failure never from victory mm-hmm. and i i i want our church i want i want every church to have imagination for god when things are good things are right there's unity there's no no significant unmet expectations uh that the lord would say like he did for Paul and Barnabas in Antioch. And I mentioned this on Sunday set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas for the work that I've called them to. And that church laid hands on Paul and Barnabas and sent them out. And, and that was a good thing. I'm sure it was hard. Sure. It was emotional. Uh, Paul and Barnabas apparently were significant leaders in that church. Uh, even though they were, you know, relatively unknown at that point in the broader landscape of the early Christian church. But, Yet God said, "Set them apart and send mm-hmm. them." And so, um, I think it's good. I, I think it's good for the church to go. All right, here's someone being sent out from our church, not just leaving. And, you know, I think that's where the emphasis needs to be. You know, part of me wonders that, uh, by and large, it, it seems that there is a. Uh, from the perspective of the congregation, there seems to be uh, this uh, kind of vague understanding that uh, working in in ministry, whether it be a pastor or uh, um, some sort of uh, deacon or uh, children's minister or whatever, is is just a job. Now they don't think of it as just a job, not like you know, uh, making buttons at the button factory or being an accountant or, or what have you. Uh, but where, where I think that, that perception really shines through is when people do leave, because when someone leaves a job in just the regular working world, there is always that question is like, well, they either didn't like something here or they're making more money there. Yeah. Both of which have that negative connotation. And so it's no wonder Mm-hmm. It's no, you know, it's no wonder why people would would jump to that, and that's why the sending is so important. Because although 
yes, God worked individually on the heart of the of it, let's just say the pastor and, and his family uh, to uh, to call them to this other ministry or this other opportunity or or what have you. Um, he's also called his current congregation, his current friends and family and coworkers to be supportive and to be a blessing in the midst of that. And, uh, and if we don't do ascending, if we don't lift them up in prayer in, in a formal setting, then I don't think there's much hope for uh, discouraging that mindset of, oh my gosh, w- what happened? Did, yeah. you know, did he finally butt heads with, uh, uh, with old so-and-so? You know, or or whatever whatever it may be, um, there's there's some some definite fringe benefits to uh, uh, to giving honor where honors due. I, I have just one kind of final comment about this, but you know, when I, in my experience, okay, um, I don't know that I could find a, a passage right off the bat that would. I would anchor this too, but in my experience, when when the Lord prompts transition like this, um, a lot of times I think to get our attention, um, He will stir the nest, so to speak. Mm. In other words, there will be things things get a little uncomfortable, and I think that prompts us to pray. Right, and I, I would say that that, without going into a whole lot of detail, I would say that was true of this transition with Keith and I. Is that there were things in the course of the last eighteen months or so where we just started to go, okay, something's going on here, um, and some of those things you could focus on and you could uh, magnify them and magnify the negative aspects of them. Mm-hmm. Um. Instead of just recognizing, okay, God's doing something. God stirred our nest. Let's pray. Let's commit to pray. And then when it becomes clear, okay, God is doing something new. Um, let's let's celebrate that. And then let's celebrate all of the good things that have happened in the last five, six years of the Cothrans being on staff here mm-hmm. in the last 13, 14 years of them being a part of our worshiping community. You know, I, I think it would be naive of us, idealistic of us to think that a, a positive transition could happen without there being some sort of stirring that precedes it that could be magnified and and um, become negative. Sure. You know, where the transition isn't an honoring, it's a all right, just go on and leave because this doesn't feel as easy and comfortable as it used to. Um, I'm not saying that happens every time, but I, I would say that in the transitions that I've navigated here at Res, where this will be the second pastor alongside me that we've sent out to plant a church. In both cases, there have been times where we just start to go, something's off. Something's not quite right like it was. What's going on? And then through prayer and through you know, a lot of conversation and transparency and vulnerability, mm-hmm. we start to realize the picture starts to become clear. God's moving us in a direction that we, you know, maybe weren't thinking about right at that moment. Uh, and I've said before, Keith and I talked about 
from the get-go when he came on staff that one day he was going to be leading and pastoring his own church. And we didn't know if that would be taking an existing church or planting a church or planting some parachurch ministry, but we, we just knew that one day it would come. And I think in the last 18 months of his tenure, really once the building project was over, yeah, there was this sense of, okay, you know, He's, he's starting to think differently. I could see his mindset start to shift. Mm-hmm. And it was like the Lord was just preparing him to not be under someone, but be leading the church. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think I, we had a choice in that moment, whether to fight that, push against that, or embrace it, and then go, all right, this is good. This is what the Lord's saying. Now let's celebrate all that God's done and all that God's going to do. Um, yeah. One hundred percent. I mean, let's let's not forget. You know what we understand of of what what prayer is. Uh, you know, not only is it communication and, and an opportunity to to praise and give thanks and petition, but it's also uh, like in Luther's explanation of the Lord's Prayer. It's not that we're asking for these things. It's asking that our will be aligned with the will of God. Mm-hmm. Right and situations that could potentially turn into to, to, to tumult for to the heart of the Christian, it turns them to prayer. It turns them to perhaps seek the will of God in a different context or a different mindset uh, than they they would have otherwise. Great stuff. Great stuff today, guys. Yep. I, I don't think I can add anything else because Bradley kind of killed it there. I can add. Uh, I can add to my coffee cup. I'm going to do that right now. <laughs> In, into the microphone. Into the microphone. That's how I'm going to send us out of this segment. We'll see you after the break. Hosty. <laughs> mm. And the back half of the show, as usual, is dedicated to the Inquisition, where you, the listener, get to contribute to the show and ask us questions. Some of them are dumb, and we enjoy them. <laughs> some of them are really well done, and we enjoy some of those. We also don't enjoy some of the dumb questions. We also don't enjoy some of the really good questions. <laughs> we just, we just kind of wing it. Uh, literally, we do no preparation for this except me going through the Facebook post, and be like, "Oh yeah, that'll be good." Yeah. Um, so we're don't going tell to tell them that we prepare for hours and hours, hours and hours. Leave us a five-star review. (laughs) (laughs) So, as is tradition, we start with Brian Morris, but we're also going to combine his question with Matthew Winter's question. Brian asks, how much agreement should someone have with a church's statement of faith before becoming a member or joining a staff? Alternatively, how much disagreement is permissible with a statement of faith? And Matthew asks, where is church membership in the Bible? Do we need to be members to take communion or be part of small groups and other ministries? So kind of the catch-all church membership slash statement of faith. Um, I kind of think it, at least for the statement of faith, it kind of depends on how encompassing that is. Because if it's if it's mainly, hey, we adhere to the Apostles' Creed, then you really can't disagree with any of that. <laughs> you know, there, there's a church in Lincoln that uh, that has like a co- like a kind of a coffee shop and play space mm-hmm. attached uh, that uh, we've taken the kids to. It's like an indoor playground, and the coffee is actually 
pretty good. Um, but uh, I was kind of rifling through like their their evangelism documents that just were mm-hmm. kind of left out on a platform for like volunteer training, and it was like our statement of faith and uh, explain. And it's like, and it was a, a no creed but Christ sort of joint, except this one took it to like we reject adherence to the Apostles' Creed for this, that, and the other reason. Because uh, it was totally Roman Catholic or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, there there was mention of uh, developed by church tradition and things like that. I mean, it was just, it was, it was silly. Have not been back since. Super mm. sketch. Yeah, and, and I know, I know uh, the PCA, and I know this is kind of controversial in the PCA when they first did it. Uh, they allow for some disagreement with the Westminster Confession, mm. um, where and it's usually surrounding the the section on Sabbatarianism, mm. where the Westminster and the 1689 London Baptist Confession both are pretty hard Sabbatarian. And I and I would actually disagree with both of those takes, even mm. though I really like both. Well, even though the 1689 mostly copy and pasted Westminster, wow. but that's neither here nor there. Uh, both confessions are really, really good, but sure. that section on on Sabbatarianism, I can't get on board with. Mm. So, if if I were to join uh, a confessional church, I would have an issue with that one section. Uh, you know, so I, Bradley, you're the pastor here. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, this is the way I think about it. Um, Actually, let's frame it this way. What if I moved to South Carolina? And, I mean, as we know, um, let's not go into the baptism thing because that's a whole other can of worms, but let's talk Lord's Supper, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I confess real presence through sacramental mystery in, with, and under the bread and the wine. Yep. That is not necessarily in those words the confession of res right how do we navigate that i think it, you could navigate it if you feel like with this worshiping community you could still take communion in faith um if i think there are there are three basic categories um for evaluating a, a church and its doctrine and what it's about is you've got essentials, which we cannot compromise on. Mm-hmm. Virgin birth, triune God, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone, etc. Uh, then there are convictions, okay, which are those spaces. Where, that, it's that space where we have things that are really important to us, but we recognize there's some room for debate. I could personally, now my pastor Brian Onkin would, might lose his mind if he heard me say this, but I could go to Christ Lincoln, even though you baptize babies and believe in real presence, and I could take communion in faith, and I could worship with you baptizing babies, even though my convictions are different. Sure. Uh, and I think that's where you have to recognize that there is there is some, shall we say, variance in the 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 broader church landscape over what is essential and what is conviction. I, in other words, I think there, I know that they're like my pastor, Brian Alkin, for example, he would treat believers baptism versus infant baptism as essential. Mm. Um, and I just, I've had that conversation with him. I don't agree with him on that right now. I will not bat. I had, in fact, I had a conversation on Sunday with a young couple who just had a baby 
um, who the wife's background is uh, in the Apostolic Lutheran Church, uh, which baptizes babies. Mm -hmm. And they have been a part of Res for quite some time. The husband is full-on believer's baptism, and there's some tension because the wife's family really wants that baby yeah. to be baptized. Mm -hmm. And so I had a conversation with them about how they might, again, go through a baby dedication, which is really a parent dedication that we do here at Res. Um, they could do that here, worshipfully in faith, and go to her parents' church and allow that child to be sprinkled on the head and do that in faith, even though they're not compromising their convictions. I just had a conversation with them about mm -hmm. that uh, because I don't, I don't think that that's a hill to die on per se. Uh, I could, you know, the whole notion of a child being born into a Christian family and being part of the covenant family. Um, I, I don't want, again, I don't want to go into all the nuances of, of baptism. Yeah. Although, although we, I will say we need to get an episode under the belt to, to yeah. get it out of the way. And it's not going to be as much of a debate as, as people, as people, yeah. our listeners may, yeah. may anticipate um, because there are some, some definite questions that uh, as my relationship with, with you guys has, has grown um, that is not necessarily introduced doubt, uh, but I'm looking for more scriptural meat on, you know, where beyond church tradition does this notion actually come from? And and so I think we need to get an episode under the belt where where we have a, an open and honest exploratory discussion. So our listeners can look look forward to that. Mm -hmm. um, you know what's what's interesting is uh, with uh, with the Lord's Supper piece is when. You're raised in in a Lutheran church, and I would I would assume that there are uh, parallels here to uh, um, certainly Roman Catholic, uh, but Anglican um, uh, and uh, certain uh, certain like Orthodox Presbyterian uh, groups, where uh, you know we're raised and instructed that not only is is communion the real presence uh, somehow just because he says so real presence. Um, not some sort of, you know, trans material shift like, uh, like Rome would, would teach, but, uh, but we're also told that it is us confessing with those who are alongside us at the table of the Lord, confessing yeah. that we are of one faith, that we are of one creed come union, you know, uh, being in concord with one another. And so there is some, there is a challenge there. If I were to put myself in the place of, if I, you know, my goal is to come out to South Carolina sometime within the next year. Like I would absolutely, I, I would, I would love to be able to do that. Uh, support the show at anchor.fm. Um, <laughs> <Help us. laughs> get John a plane ticket. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> and seven N95s just stacked right on top of each other. So I don't die on board the plane. <laughs> um, but uh, if I were to come, I, I would have a difficult time personally knowing that those alongside me at the at the table of the Lord, so to speak, don't share the same understanding as as I do, and that's that's not saying that 
I would believe that there, there's a, a, a heretical issue there. It's that my entire upbringing has been, you come to the table of the Lord with those you are in agreement with. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that's something that would, I mean, to your, to, to the point of the questions here, I mean, there is a lot of prayer and a lot of study and a lot of reflection through the lens of scripture, um, that, that needs to be done if there is the need to say compromise mm. on, on any of these, uh, uh, convictions, uh, that, that, may stem from differences between uh, a statement of faith and uh uh and and uh, of an institution in your own personal beliefs i mean personally um i will i will join in worship at any church that boldly confesses the apostles creed and the nicene creed hmm. um does that you know? Does that mean that I will participate in the Lord's Supper, or, mm-hmm. um, you know, or so on and so forth? No, not necessarily. Um, but that isn't the primary reason why we gather to worship. I mean, yes, we receive God's word, new or God's gifts through word and sacrament, uh, but we also gather to return prayer, praise, and thanksgiving. And, uh, and in that mindset, um, I, uh, it, it, it's a good foot in the door. You know, in my head, I'm, pr- I'm closer to you, John, on communion. I know that. Than I am on baptism in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would be interesting for me. I've, I've never really been in a worship service where, you know, real presence was really talked about, mm-hmm. celebrated, you know, um, and, and I, I don't know that I'm quite there, but I think I, I, I do believe that there's something special and unique about both communion and baptism. I do believe the mm-hmm. Lord is working in a, in a special and unique way. And yeah, 100%. That, and what that does for me biblically and emotionally is it pulls me more towards you in communion and it pulls me further away from you in baptism. Mm. And because of the experience of believers baptism and immersion and what that, what, what that symbolizes for me and what that, what that declares and, and, and what I believe is experienced, um, by both the person being baptized and the one who's doing the bapti- baptizing, mm-hmm. I think it, it, it pulls me away from, and, and so there would be tension for me to be a member at Christ Lincoln, sure. probably more on the baptism side than on the communion side. And I think, I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm not one to draw hard, fast lines yeah. on these kinds of things. Like some people are, uh, but I do think it's something that has to be navigated prayerfully because, again, you've got convictions, you've got you got essentials, and then you've got convictions, and then you've got preferences. And we we know what preferences are. Yeah. Uh, preferences are not, you know, maybe shouldn't even be lumped in with convictions and essentials because smells and bells versus hazers and lasers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, NASB ESV versus the message. I mean, they're just two. Well, separate, two totally separate let's, things. Let's there, not right? be hasty, Mr. <laughs> you know, Reverend Cox. Let's, uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> but, but we would affirm to answer Matthew's question, church membership is in the Bible. Yeah. At the very least, because Jesus brought it up in Matthew 18. Yep. Uh, if, if your brother sins against you, go to him. If that doesn't work, then take a couple people. If that doesn't work, take him in front of the church. And if he still doesn't, then kick him out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, I think what, what a lot of people think about when they think when we start talking about all things membership is they think about our membership classes and yeah. our, our, yep. our, all the, uh, you know, the ceremonial ritualistic stuff we do around membership, but the, the ethos of membership is all over the new Testament. Oh yeah. Uh, and, and just in how we, you know, I don't, I don't want to dive into social justice here, but the 9.9999, if not 10 out of 10 references to caring for the poor, meeting the needs of others, all those kinds of things, uh, in the New Testament are are referencing those within the fellowship. Right. Right. Absolutely. Like that, that is there there is this sense of belonging and you're the hand and I'm the foot. Yeah, exactly. And, that's that's the emphasis that yeah. exists in scripture. It's it's not membership in the sense of like an elk's lodge exactly. or or exactly. Costco yeah. where um where you're allowed to go. It's not an allowed to go or um, you have certain rights afforded to you by being on the membership books, like being exactly. able to, to mm-hmm. vote or, or whatever. It's, it's not that. It's more of being a part of membership in the sense of you are a member. If we think of member in the context of um, members of the body of Christ, arms, feet, hands, we are those members of the church. Not necessarily, um, you know, just a line on a manifest who we let in the in the door for voters meetings. And I think that that concept of of membership, uh, especially in in these later days, um, has uh, has has been modified uh, by uh, by secular culture and and just organizations using those terms. But when we think of church membership, we need to think of we are the members. We are the hands and feet of Christ through the church. And uh, yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Next question. Austin Dobbs wants to know, is time travel compatible with the Christian worldview? (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) What'd you screw up that you need to go back and fix? No, it's like, uh, I mean, good Lord, if somebody invented a time machine, I'd be all over that. Uh, <laughs> but Bradley's it, but in, Bradley's of, thinking in his head like I need to go back to that brisket I had on January second, two thousand seventeen. Yes. <laughs> but yeah. in terms of uh, in terms of like, do we see it feasible within like a biblical framework? Like, I don't know. I don't think so um, because I think that you know the sovereign purposes of God are playing out in time. God is right. ruling over time and for man to have control over that would be an absolute disaster and i just cannot fathom god allowing that to happen i i don't think that you know um it, you know the, the for paul to say in galatians at the exact right moment that's what that that it's translated in the esv as in the fullness of time christ came at the exact right moment christ came and so God is God is 
doing things when he's ready by the second. And for man to have some sort of um, control, influence, you know, uh, to, to, you know, I think about your, uh, your, your, Star Trek love uh, there, John, where there's the the movie where they go back in time to find humpback whales. And save the whales, the baby. Save the whales. Like, like you know, we, we know biblically God is ruling over all those things. And if we ever came to the point where the world was about to be destroyed um, because humpback whales are no longer present in the ocean to communicate with some alien probe... <laughs> Then you know the the church would be would be called to trust God in faith in that in, yeah. right. as to, the world to be, comes to be an, fair yeah uh, that that is that is not on my my top ten list of uh, of oh, Star on. Trek productions the <laughs> voyage on. home is uh, yeah although uh, although when he when he walks up to the Macintosh and holds up the mouse computer yeah there's uh, there, there's some good comic relief it, it was almost like if anyone's a fan of like british television like they always do like between uh, like in the winter off season they always do like a comic relief special like almost all the shows do it and um it, it just seemed it just seemed like that like it was just you know a, a silly farce um i i suppose that like if everything were predicated, which everything is predicated on the sovereignty uh, and the divine will of God, and he willed for an individual to be able to travel through space and time uh, to accomplish his purposes, uh, yes, but uh, that that just seems way too messy um, for the creator of an ordered universe to, uh, mm. to uh, you know, put forth. I can't say that I've really ever thought about that, but like I'm trying to where my mind went was God ruling time. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, yeah. there's, there's a pointed under man wants to die and then face the judgment. There's, there's, there's so much in scripture about, you know, Christ will return at the exact right moment, just like his first advent occurred at just the exact right moment. And, you know, the church, you know, the church is God's means through which his kingdom is coming. It has come and is continuing to come. And But one day, according to God's sovereign plan, it will come in its fullness and he mm -hmm. will bring it about. Right. You know, when man has his grubby hands on the church right now, it, it still has warts and it's not, it's like C.S. Lewis said, it's yep. a, it's a, it's a, half-baked gothic sham right now from our <laughs> our perspective right that's that's how he described the yeah. church but one day she will be a bride without spot or wrinkle uh and everyone will see that right yep. and that will occur in the fullness of time if man was to get his grubby hands on time itself i just think that would be an absolute disaster and i can't fathom God allowing that to mm. happen, but he's he's smarter than I am. Yeah, so. Just uh, just go to the library. I mean, uh, I'm pretty sure it was Lavar Burton and uh, Reading Rainbow. Uh, you can you can be a time traveler. Just go to your library. There you go. <laughs> Next question: Hunter Chapin asks, "What's probably the best worded question we've ever had? Exorcisms are they a deadly event that Christians should be wary of, or fun for the whole family?" <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, if it's fun for the whole family, something's gone real wrong. Yeah. Like, oh <laughs> wow. You know, um, 
I've I've not performed one. They are not outside of uh, they 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 are not outside of of Lutheran uh, teaching and doctrine and theology. Um, there is a a I mean, although it's certainly not a popularized uh, doctrine, there is a a consciousness and allowance uh, for spiritual warfare, and. Uh, you know, with without uh, speaking too plainly, um, I have had some spiritual uh, leaders in in my recent life um, take uh, take that task to hand um, to uh, to pray over individuals that seem to be plagued uh, with uh, with the darkness of. Uh, of some spiritual skullduggery, if it were, um, and mm. it it really started um, my uh, my no, I wouldn't say active interest, but my consciousness of it being a thing. I mean, praise be to God that I have not ever had a, a circumstance in my life when I'm like, good gracious, there's demons afoot, like in, in a complete seriousness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, God, God's provision to me and my family uh, in, uh, in that sense and in, in every sense has, has been gracious and generous beyond possible uh, comprehension. <clears throat> um, but in recent years, it has become, it is, is come to my attention uh, that it is not so for others. And uh, I, uh, I have a book that I haven't made it through yet. Um, the invisible war um, that, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm actually going to pull it up because I can't remember the author and I, I want to be able to cite, uh, that work um, that does present a uh, a good kind of introductory view of the reality and and really what is going on uh, in spiritual warfare. Um, the Invisible War by Chip Ingram was recommended to me uh, by by a good friend. And uh, it's a short read. It's about uh, it's about four hours uh, long at a normal pace. Um, uh, but I, uh, yeah, I haven't completed it yet. Um, but it does open your eyes to uh, that there is the reality uh, of of that going on. Um, but I, I've never seen an exorcism or, or anything uh, firsthand. Um, obviously, it is much more popular in in uh, the the Roman circles. Um, not, I mean, not like popular in the sense of like sitting down to watch Seinfeld or something, but I mean, certainly, certainly more than, than you might, uh, expect. Um, but yeah, so that, that's been more of a, of a recent kind of eye opening, uh, for me, be interested in, in your experiences. I mean, I, I have pretty, I mean, pretty much none, honestly, mm-hmm. like if, if, if there's uh, one end of the extreme where Satan is behind every terrible thing or every even halfway bad thing, like I get an itch on my nose in the middle of a job sure. interview and that's Satan. Like I'm probably on, I, well, I probably trend toward the other end where I just don't think about it at all. Yeah. 
Um, that that's more of just kind of where I land most of the time. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm probably mm-hmm. faulty in going too far mm-hmm. sometimes. Um, but at the very least, at the crucifixion, Jesus bound Satan in some way, which is why I think we don't see as many uh, outright possessions mm-hmm. as you do in Scripture, right? Um, I think it's, uh, but but that's uh, that's about as far as I don't know. Have you listened to pop radio recently? It's pretty bad. (laughs) (laughs) I I would chalk that up to Romans one. I think you also, (laughs) I think you also have to make room for context though. I mean, right. My mother works for a missions arm of a, I think it's the ARP church here in town. They have a, they have a headquarters here. So we're talking about a cessationist Mm -hmm. uh, denomination that, you know, if you probably if you ask the powers that be here in, on stateside, um, they would not even entertain the notion of of something like a you know an exorcism you know much less you know even entertain the notion of spiritual gifts much less you sure. know some sort of casting out of demons or whatever that kind of stuff happening. But my mother's job is she fields the reports coming in from overseas mm-hmm. and all these third world places where a lot of lot of witchcraft and mm. uh you know idol worship and other things happens uh and these stories of deliverance come into her yeah and they won't let her print them mm. huh. they will not let them let her include them in the publications that go out to their donor base because the donor base would reject it altogether. But these are people, these are missionaries Mm -hmm. that were not raised and discipled in the church to even think about these things. Kind of like what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's somewhere in the Bible, but that's not, I don't, I don't even have a frame of reference for that, but they go overseas and all of a sudden they're encountering things that they haven't here in the States. And so I have some room in my mind for context being a factor. Um, Sure. The closest I've never performed an exorcism. Um, I've never seen anyone foam at the mouth or anything like that. The closest experience I've had to this was years ago when if some of our listeners might remember Seth Kane, who pastors mm-hmm. the Anglican church here in town was on an episode. He was here with me at res and we had this family that started coming here and they were the quintessential American dream family. They lived in a multi-million dollar house in uh, one of the most exclusive communities here in town called the cliffs. Mm. Um, He was very successful businessman, uh, the very attractive couple, beautiful family, uh, you know, well-educated, had their head screwed on, right. You talk to them, you'd think, man, these people, they're doing great. And then suddenly the husband scheduled an appointment with us comes in and sits down and this is this this is not one of those people that you talk to and you go okay he's just weird this was a nor- <laughs> yeah. as normal a guy as you can possibly imagine starts telling me about all this weird stuff that's going on in his house daughter waking up screaming in the middle of the night in cold sweats claiming that she's been grabbed and thing and things are being moved and uh the husband himself hearing weird things and seeing weird things and feeling weird things. And just, it had gotten to the point where he was just freaked out, literally freaked out. And so we bring the wife in, we start to to talk to her and 
question her alongside her husband. And after a long time, she finally breaks down, starts to cry. And she says, I, and I didn't know this at the time she had a, she would have been married before and her husband had died. Mm. Her first husband had died. And in her grief, she visited uh, a place not far from here that communicates with the dead. Mm. And she went to this place and I, I don't know how you would classify it. If it's just like a psychic or a medium or some other type of thing, I don't know, but they, they helped her, you know, quote unquote, communicate with her dead husband. And, uh, she had continued to stay in touch with this place, even though she's married to this other guy, stay in touch with this place. And there was a person she was in contact with and she was, not, I wouldn't say every week, every month, but on the regular couple times a year going mm -hmm. and trying to communicate with her dead husband. Um, so we decided we were going to go to the house and pray uh, with this family. Um, and we took it very seriously. I think the heart of Hunter's question that's so cleverly worded is that, is this something we need to take seriously or is it something we can go into with a cavalier kind of attitude or do we just need to not fool with it at all? My sense is, is if you ever get come in contact with something that even remotely smells of demonic activity, take it very seriously. Mm -hmm. You know, the Bible's clear, resist the devil, he'll flee. We have, we have, you know, we have the name of Jesus to invoke and his authority. We have the spirit of the living God in us. Um, and we don't need to be afraid, but I do think we need to be careful. And so we had people come to the church uh, while we went to visit this home and they just stayed here and prayed for us while we were there. And we walked in the house. We, nothing, nothing weird out of the ordinary. Um, but we started talking and, uh, we prayed and Seth, who, if, if you listen to that episode, you know, he's not a super sensational guy either. Uh, like he's not, he's, he's not weird or hyper spiritual. But in the middle of our conversation, he interrupts and he points to a picture on the wall of the daughter who had been screaming and hollering in the middle of the night on the regular, claiming something was grabbing her and all this stuff. And he pointed to a picture of her and he said, what's going on with that picture? And we just all stopped and we're like, it's a picture of the daughter. What do you, you know, and, and as soon as he said that, I still get chills thinking about it. As soon as he said that the wife's countenance fell if she could have melted into the floor she would have and she she just broke and he and seth said it again what's going on with that picture she gets up rather slowly walks over to the wall pulls the picture off the wall opens up the frame and behind the picture of her daughter was this i don't even know how to describe it this wicked looking uh pick uh drawing is the best way I know to describe it. Had all manner of symbols and weird-headed animals and 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 all kinds of stuff on it that she had gotten from that place, and they had told her to put it behind her daughter's picture mm. as a as a protective mechanism over her spiritually. And I'm not beyond saying that that was some sort of foothold for the enemy. Sure, yeah. to, Open, it, to opening there. the door. Yeah. Uh, so, so to speak, I so mean, we I, took that, we yeah. took that thing out. This is the end of my story. I we took that thing out. We prayed over the home, blessed the home. 
uh, and we we threw that picture in a dump. We ripped it up into pieces and threw it in a dumpster on the way home. Um, and I can't I can't sit here and tell you that there was just some like beam of light from heaven that eradicated <laughs> all the darkness Aww. in that home. Yeah. But I just I, I offer that to say take it seriously. Yeah. Uh, don't be cavalier about it. Don't do it alone. If you feel like that the Lord has put you in a, a position to minister to someone who might be uh, oppressed or possessed or however you think about those things. Uh, I think it's real and I think we should take it serious. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's not, let's not forget that, that when we see an exorcism in whether it be pop culture, uh, you know, with the, uh, with you know the the priest in you know in full uh, you know chasuble yeah. and surplus and uh, uh, you know an incense swinging around and the holy water zero of those things is what a quote exorcism is yeah. right if right. I mean an exorcism is very much God doing the doing yes and we pray. In a space, we offer the very words of God himself. Mm. And in those words, there is power because in the word of God is God himself. And that is what the exorcism is. It, it, it is God working in our midst. If I could just say one more thing to Hunter yep. um, and those interested. Um, one of my favorite stories in scripture is um, when Jesus goes to the Decapolis and he delivers the, the guy I affectionately call crazy naked guy in the, in the graveyard, right. Um, <laughs> that no one could contain, uh, possessed by multiple demons. It's the famous, you know, Jesus says, who are you? And he says, my name is Legion for we are many. So yep. there's multiple demons in this guy and Jesus cast out the demons, but the demons request is that don't send us to the abyss. Let us enter those pigs over there. And the pigs, Jesus allows it, which is crazy. And and I forget how many is it, 2,000 pigs that run off the a cliff fun. and die. I offer that just to say what, what we get in that little story is a snapshot of demons unfiltered. Mm-hmm. What do they want to do? They want to destroy. They want to kill. They want to harm. That is, And so I say that to say we, we don't. We don't need to live in fear of demons. They're, they're, they, we are the children of God, the people of God, uh, protected and guarded by the Spirit of God and by angels, I believe. Um, but you know, if we're gonna if we're gonna tangle with the demonic, um, I think we need to be prayerful, be sober minded, uh, be dependent on the Lord. Because as John said, it's it's got to be God's power that does the work. We have. We, we are not in and of ourselves adequate to the task. Um, and uh, because, you know, demons are, are they're nasty creatures. Um, yeah. and, Put on uh, the full armor of God. Yeah, absolutely. Don't, uh, don't try to take care of it yourself. It won't end well. Yep. So final inquisition question. Uh, Phil Moses asks in relation to, so, Westminster effects artist Cade Fainer put out, mm. just released a song featuring one Doug Wilson. <laughs> and, uh, you know, did we, you send me that? I didn't listen to it. I, I think I did send the song. I at least sent you a text about it. You did. Um, but, you know, we've also had Gabe Wrench, who is a deacon at Doug Wilson's church. And so 
Phil asks, and I actually know Phil. We've hung out several times. He lives in the area. Uh, he says, why would anyone give Doug Wilson their time with so many issues and problems surrounding him? And so there have been some accusations of uh, leadership style. There have been, uh, well, he's, he's very public with his blog and, you know, he's, he's gone places. A lot of people say he shouldn't have, and there've been, you know, things where I was like, yeah, I think he went a little too far there. Um, but as far as I can tell to make a parallel, uh, with someone he used to do some things with, uh, I don't necessarily know that anything that I'm aware of is disqualifying along the lines that, uh, someone like Mark Driscoll would be, mm-hmm. you know, where we, you know, kind of the last straw with Driscoll was he was put under church discipline. And then he said that God told him it was a trap and he left, <laughs> yeah. you know, mm. where, where Wilson, I think there's a difference in certain styles and, and ways of saying things. And maybe he has gone too far in saying some things, but as far as I'm aware, the likes of James White and John Piper still affirm him. So I am, I'm of the mindset that I can listen to a guy and agree or disagree or both, you know? So, yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know any more about Doug Wilson. You know way more about Doug Wilson sure. than I do. And and I would echo those sentiments that as far as I know, he hasn't done anything disqualifying. I would just simply offer that here herein lies the 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 necessity for us to not put anybody on a pedestal. Right. Like where we are it's like, you know, Stephen and I, our new worship minister, um, we decided to sing the um, a portion of that song, The Blessing, uh, that came out of Elevation over Keith and Carrie on Sunday. It's literally just we took the portion of the song that is the direct quote from Scripture and the Amen, just that much, and we sang it over Keith and Carrie because it's a great melody, and those are obviously inspired words uh, from directly from Scripture. It's hard to argue with those lyrics. It's, it is hard. Yeah. And so <laughs> we sang that over them, um, and he and I had a great discussion yesterday about the fact that th- we really don't have a problem with that song. The, the, the problem, the hesitancy that he and I both feel about it is that the song tends to get worshipped more than the God it sings about, it declares. Mm, yep. And I think that it, at times we have the same problem with, with people and leaders. I mean, for Corinth to be arguing over, oh, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas. Right. You know, there's this tendency we all have to make idols out of people. And we shouldn't have John Piper on a pedestal. He's yep. not perfect. Yep. He could sin tomorrow and his and in his desiring God crumble underneath his feet because he's the he he's the face. He's the driving force behind it. I don't think that's gonna happen. But if it did, it wouldn't undermine for me all of the great benefits that he's brought to the body of Christ for what better part of fifty years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the same would be true of Doug Wilson. I mean, I, I think there's, there's a lot of contribution that's he, that he's made. And if there are questions that need to be asked about his character, um, and his leadership style, I pray, I pray that there are godly men around him that are holding him accountable and he's submitted to them, but I have no control over that. Right. So, so it's like, 
especially since we're not involved in that local church or a denomination. I think we need to refrain from jumping to conclusions. And I think we need to refrain from, you know, um, criticism that isn't founded on irrefutable facts. Right. Um, I, th- I think we just need to be cautious not to put anybody on a pedestal. Yep. Right. Because he may he may have had some failures. And I, I again, I pray that there are good godly men around him holding him accountable and he's submitted to them and that he's walking in humility and not pride because if he is, eventually it'll it'll come out. Yep. But um you know, I, at this point, I would refrain from. You know, to uh, to adapt a, a slogan that is uh, um, uh, familiar uh, to those listening, um, uh, from one Matt Chandler, uh, "You're not David," and uh, to flesh that out and uh, a little bit more. Good thing you're not David because David screwed up real bad, and but God was still instrumental through him. Yeah. And we give yep. thanks to God for his action, not the action yeah. of David. Yeah. Yep. Well, let's leave it there. Subscribe, share it, talk to us on Facebook and Instagram. I don't know what else. We'll see you next week. Thanks. Thanks.